whatever you're currently doing is the will of God. Mm. Like right now, is the will of God for me to be doing something else? I don't think so. The will of God for me right now is to talk to Gray and to Ted. And so I'm going to do that with all my heart as best I know how right now. to Taste and See, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. This is Season 3, The Voices of Formation. Well, welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. I am Ted Wiesty. Uh, the director of the society, and I'm joined by my uh, partner in crime, uh, Gray Ewing. Gray Ewing, pastor of Ascension Church in Phoenix, and also just on the ministry team at the at the society. Love to help out when I can. This is kind of the main way I do these days, and uh, love what we're doing, creating spaces in Phoenix and uh, around Arizona to have a, a chance for us to connect with the Lord and provide that for leaders and, and learners. And so it's a joy to be here. And so on our podcast called Taste and See, we uh, call it that because we get to share a meal together and uh, taste, see what it's like, <laughs> share about that. And, and, and also from that song, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, that's what we want this to be about is experiencing the goodness of God his riches, his beauty. And on this season of the podcast, we're calling it Voices of Formation. And so we're excited to have um, another voice in this formation world, Jim Fadling. Jim, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, Jim, um, we, we want to talk a little bit more about your ministry and the things that you're up to and, and those kind of things a little bit later. But um, by way of introduction, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I suppose the important place to start is always with your family, right? So um, <laughs> I've been married, <laughs> been married to my husband, Alan. We'll be celebrating 37 years in May, so going the distance here. I have three grown sons, my oldest of which is going to be 30 this year. <laughs> Cannot believe it, which is odd considering I'm only 39. You know how that is. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so, and together, uh, my husband and I uh, head an organization called Unhurried Living, where we train Christian leaders in spiritual formation, how to lead well from a full soul. Mm. So that takes up a lot of my time now in this season of my life, and it's just great fun. And um, maybe I should say, too, I'm a life coach. I'm a spiritual director, and I love working with women specifically. Well, given that, thank you for hanging out with a couple of dudes today. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I do know how to talk to men. <laughs> you do. You do. And Jim, do. you have you've been out here in Phoenix several times teaching, and mm-hmm. you and Alan are going to be coming back in May, and we maybe talk about that a little bit later. Um, but you do. Your voice um, is strong, and. Yeah. Uh, and we appreciate this time with you. And so we're going to, here in a, in a minute, move into eating our meal together. And we'll take a break while we do that because no one wants to hear us 
you know, munching yeah. on food. A couple times early in, the, early in the podcast, we learned that that's not the best format. To, uh, the, no, the, the no, chewing. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us about. So, uh, for those who don't know, Jim is in California, Orange County. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so um, you selected something from a restaurant there. We got something here, both Mexican food. Uh, but tell us about the restaurant you picked and why you picked the dish that you did. Yeah, so this cute little restaurant, it's called Taco Mesa. I think there might be a small handful of them in our area. And it's just, I think they call it Fresh Mex. Mm-hmm. So my favorite thing to get there, I always get their cheese enchilada and their chicken enchilada with the rice and beans and their yummy, yummy roasted tomato salsa. And I'm just happy as can be. That sounds amazing. And we also have Mexican, although I gave my order to Ted and I don't even remember what I ordered. So do you remember <laughs> what I ordered? <laughs> I do. And ours is still on the way. So uh, oh. we're going to take a break here in a second. And during that break to, to eat, the, the food will be coming in the door, I'm sure. But we ordered from a place called La Piñata, which is um, kind of a traditional, old-school Phoenix Mexican restaurant. It's uh, been around, I was looking at the website, for 52 years. They started in 1970. So I was born in 1970, so I feel like I have like a kindred spirit with that restaurant. (laughs) We're the same age. And um, so La Piñata, it's in central Phoenix, and... Uh, Gray, you ordered the beef ranchero burro. Oh, sounds like something I would order. Sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> and I ordered, um, it's like a an egg chorizo uh, kind of breakfast kind of thing. Um, it just sounded really good. So, um, Jimmy. yeah, we'll give it a try. See how it goes. So we're going to dive into this food and we'll be right back to talk to Jim. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deepening intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. As you introduced yourself, you talked about unhurried living. So tell us more about unhurried living in this ministry that, um, that you lead. Let's say logistically, it's, it's about six years old, but in some ways it's, it's really the, um, Alan, my husband, as I mentioned before, it's really our life's work. It's all of who God has made us to be over the decades of our adult lives. And we're just sharing it. But at the center of it really is this idea of um, spiritual formation and leadership. But the word unhurried kind of catches people's ears. They're like, what is that? Either it's like, that's impossible, or man, I really need that. You know, those are the two responses you get from the word unhurried. And um, sometimes people think it's... um, non-productive or slow moving or you know cut half of your calendar out um and we're not saying anything like that Mm. we're saying can we live in a way where we can be present 
where we can have perspective, where I can grow in discernment. Um, and when we talk, when we talk about productivity, we're kind of more talking about John 15, not busyness, because checking off a to-do list is fun and nice, and I do it too. Um, but when we talk about productivity, we're talking about John 15, um, abide in me, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so we would argue that in order for all of these beautiful, wonderful formational things to happen, um, there has to be a, a pacing. These things happen at a certain pace. And so unhurried living, we do all kinds of things that help people know everything I just said. So, you know, all the podcasts, all the books, all the email blog posts, we meet with individuals and groups and we're trying to help people pace. So you mentioned uh, that there's two kinds of people that hear the word unhurried. And of course, there's the ones that say, oh, I want some of that. And so they're kind of like ripe for the picking. They're just going to slide right into, you know, something that you offer and read some things and, and really want to embrace that. And then the other person that says, I don't know. That doesn't even seem possible. Um, if, if you were sitting across from someone who said, I don't even think that's possible, or they're kind of skeptical, what would you say? Well, one of the places I like to start the conversation with is um, our view of time. Because most people who think it's impossible have a compressed view of time. I don't... I don't have enough time for this. I'm already doing all these other things and how would, how would I do this too? And it just doesn't seem possible. I think for a lot of us, the culture presses in. We have our set definitions of, again, what productivity means. The measuring sticks we're using to, you know, quote, prove ourselves or our worth or our value. And um, so it, it would depend on the person, but I think a nice starting point is to talk about time itself. Is it really true that you don't have enough time? And that's a great question to ask yourself. Is it true um, that you're stuck, that you're trapped, that this stressed, um, rushed um, feeling that you have, that that's, that's what there is here for us? Maybe let's look at that for a minute. Because my guess is underneath all of that, you have desires um, that actually agree with some of the words I threw out earlier, which is, wouldn't you like to be a person who is more present to the people around you? Would you like to have greater vision and perspective? Right? Would you like to be a part of what Jesus says in John 15? Um, bearing much fruit that lasts. I love that phrase. What does that mean? So... Um, if I was sitting down with someone, we could have a nice conversation. I think it might start a little bit like that. <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned Jesus himself, right? And I know this is a focus in your book as well, which is wonderful, and everybody should read it. If anybody could make the argument, right, that I have a lot on my shoulders, <laughs> Jesus Christ might be at the top of the list, right? Yes. Literally bearing everyone's sin, literally, you know, saving saving the world, um, and yet his way teaches us so much, so much different. Um, guessing that much of what you guys talk about and maybe you could talk for just a second about is how Christ himself teaches us that way. Yes, this really has to do with what Peterson called the Jesus way, right? The Jesus way. We like to teach the Jesus truth. 
and proclaim the Jesus life, but are we willing to live the Jesus way? And, you know, everyone can go through the Bible and pick and choose verses. I understand that. But there are some examples of him living this way. First of all, this is the famous conversation that Dallas Willard had with John Ortberg. Um, I think it was John. Anyway, I know Dallas said this. Um, He was asked, what's one word um, that you would use to describe Jesus? Of course, and so we think of all the words. What are all the words? Majestic, mighty, savior, shepherd. And Dallas chose the word relaxed. (laughs) And (laughs) it's just like, what? (laughs) Because you're right. If we look... If we look at the Gospels, I'm seeing a really long to-do list that went from morning till night, healing and teaching, chewing out the, you know, the religious leaders of the time, you know, stopping and all, all of the things he did. But it is peppered with phrases like, um, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. That's the Jesus way. Mm-hmm. Um, One of our friends did a study through the Gospels and found that every time before some major turning point happened in the narrative, Jesus, the the night before, was up all night praying. So there's, um, I guess we could have a ministry that says, stay up all night and pray and see what happens. But but what we're trying to say say instead is at least this much. There was a pacing to what Jesus did. He wasn't just willy-nilly running around every day just doing stuff to be busy he said i am doing the things that my father does i am saying the things that my father says how did he know time with the father so an unhurried life is about prioritizing this listening receptive posture so that when we're doing what we're doing we're doing it hopefully in the manner of jesus and we're doing the things that he has called us to do. Yeah, and it it seems to me it it takes a lot of trust to to be able to live that way because I think when you look at Jesus maybe this is kind of a cheesy way to say it, but I think he was always on time but never in a hurry. Yes. You know, he was the timing and all that was impeccable and but he didn't hurry around. Um, but for us to trust that we can live that kind of pace and accomplish what we think we need to accomplish uh, or whatever, yeah. a lot of trust, it seems. Yeah. I'm glad you said that word, yes. It really does take a lot of trust. Um, as you were sharing that, another word came to mind, which is the word chase. I feel like a lot of time we are chasing something. I need to, there's a There's a, a kind of an anxiety that is broiling underneath. I need to be doing God's will and I need to make this happen. I need to help this happen. And you have to have a vision and then there's steps and you're, or whatever. There's a, there's a chasing. But what you just said is so true, right? Jesus was busy. He wasn't hurried. I mean, oh. Whenever I talk about this, I just get images and glimpses of uh, people in the Gospels. You know, I've heard the stories so many times. I have my own visual of what I see. But so the woman at the well flashes. like She's there in the middle of the day. Jesus somehow has the time. 
to have this amazing conversation with an individual who just needed to be seen and known and loved. And because of this outpouring of love and of truth from him, now she's off, right? She's off. She's telling the 10 cities, here's this guy, right? <laughs> it's just this beautiful flowing image. Um, can we trust that we might be walking along someday and there'll be this person that we think is an imposition or an, or an interruption? Is there any way that we could nurture a sense inside of ourselves that we could notice that person and see her as the will of God for me in that moment? I feel like we're always chasing the will of God. What am I supposed to be doing? But you, I learned this from a man named Father Albert Hass. He wrote a book called Becoming an Ordinary Mystic, which he meant you can be a mystic in your everyday real life. And part of that means that whatever you're currently doing, obviously, you know the things that, well, let me say it first. Whatever you're currently doing is the will of God. Mm. Like right now, is the will of God for me to be doing something else? I don't think so. The will of God for me right now is to talk to Gray and to Ted. And so I'm going to do that with all my heart as best I know how right now. It's a little bit of a twist, isn't it? I'm not chasing the will of God right now. I'm just sinking into it. And so, I don't know if that got too weird or too deep, but you said I'm trying to say about an unmarried totally life. And <laughs> does that make sense? I'll give you another example. It totally makes <laughs> sense. And even just a couple of weeks ago at, at our church, you know, somebody, I was greeting people at the door as they leave, and this lady comes up who I know has had a hard time, and her, her son committed suicide. Uh, recently, mm. and she is telling me she's crying. She's talking to me, and we're near the door of the church. And I see all these visitors streaming out. You know, I can see them in my peripheral vision, and I'm trying to look at her. And I see, you know, as a in pastor mode, we have a lot of pastors and leaders who listen to this. You know, I gotta, you know, go places. I gotta, you know, meet all these people. And so I'm literally thinking, you know, all these people are leaving without me talking to them or something. But she's crying in front of me, and. It's like the spirit of God saying in the moment, but she is here, you know, she's in front of you. And later in processing that, I just realized how much, um, you know, I still need to grow in, but how much I have grown in that ability of like, God will bring back whatever is lost, yes. whatever I think is lost, yes. you know, whatever I think is missed. Because the truth is, um, <clears throat> those visitors were not the only thing I was missing, right? I was missing all kinds of things that God's doing in the world. That's never not true. It's never not. It's never not true that God's doing a zillion things other than what I'm doing. And so to take and to take them up and say, well, but He has given me this this visitor who I know is going through a hard time. And if I could just capture that over and over again, then I would certainly, I think, be living more in God's more in the way of Christ. I love that story, and, and what I hear in it is um, there's kind of an acceptance of your limitations, mm. right, which is hard, and a belief in the, um, the importance of the individual who's in front of you. It's about, that's about presence. Mm. Presence is really important these days, hugely important, because... I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but most people aren't present. <laughs> Do you ever notice that? <laughs> it feels like a pretty, I mean, I live in Southern California. It's kind of a gruff culture. It's kind of a can-do business 
feel even just culturally. And so, um, the fact, I mean, what you gave that woman is like a thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars to be with her in her pain. So I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. I think that's what our life is about. Stopping that the woman is crying. Right, but I was wrestling internally. You know, in the moment, I was I was not the hero. Right, in the moment, I was like, I'm I'm this pastor who's thinking about these other people. You know, and was, I'm wanting myself to get back to that to that place of really trusting him. And um, but I, I think that um, it, I know Ted wants to contribute to this too because we were talking about this before you got on, Jim. Um, just we one of the things we appreciate you is that about you is the care that you put into all of your communication. Um, so. I read your emails. Um, we're on your list, and we really appreciate uh, you know your your forming us in your communication. And um, it clearly, takes some time. It takes some energy to put into to those thoughts. And I'm sure it's gotten better and more efficient over time, and that kind of thing. But it's it's very caring. And I just wanted to hear you talk about your process a little bit with that, because clearly you you're someone who thinks through not just. The, the quote-unquote ministries that I'm doing, like the the speaking, the writing of books, or whatever. But even in the email, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming here a little bit, but there seems to be some intentionality there. Maybe you could talk about that. Well, I love this question, actually, because this goes all the way back, um, way back. My husband and I have been dating, well, I was 19. So we've known each other since... 1981. <laughs> um, I met him when I was 17, actually. So I'm, I'm only telling you that because God has given us this great gift. Um, when we got married, I was 21. We moved directly from Northern California to Southern California, and Alan was the paid pastor, and I worked in the corporate world. So I just got a full-time job. But I also did all the partnering and ministry. I was, I was, you know, back in the 80s, you could be a pastor's wife, and I guess that that meant something. I don't know if it still does. Anyway, there's this great gift that God gave us. And that is that kind of spiritually, even vocationally, apart from me getting paid for anything, um, Alan and I have always been in sync, in step. And there's, um, I, I don't take any credit for it because we didn't plan it. It's just been the way it has been. And so um, when we were in our late 20s, we received what we considered to be our life calling and we got it together. Now it's, of course it manifests individually because we're both different. We're our own individuals, but there was this calling that we feel that was placed on both of us at the same time for the same purpose. And I won't tell you the whole story of that, but I'll give you the one sentence that has something to do with the question you asked, which is this. Um, the phrase that, that came along with it was, you will share your lives. Now, I'm 26, Alan is 29. Do you think we know what that meant? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew, I felt the gravity of the sentence when I heard it. It felt like a major part of the calling to what we do now. We encourage leaders. That was the call. You will share your lives. So whether or not I've been able to keep that in the front of my brain all the time, I always had this hum, this low hum in the back of my mind that I am sharing what I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking my walk with God very seriously. I am noticing, I love transformation and change anyway. I have a natural curiosity. 
And so I collect all my learnings as I go. I just do this anyway. And so whenever it has come time for me to share with someone else, I just pull from my treasure box. So the emails are just some of the treasures that have come out. So when I'm sharing, I am, I am sharing from my actual life. I think you'll notice that most of it are just their stories. They're just, some of them are just mundane, anecdotal. Here's this thing. Like today's went out and I'm talking about a TV show that I like. But if you read it, you'll know that a TV show got all the way down into my core of I want, I want to be admired. You see, this is how I live my life. I notice a lot of things and I take note of when I'm being, when something's being, um, I don't know, moved by God. And, and I, I try to cooperate with that. So those emails are just me sharing those things. And then, of course, as you're composing it, you have to make it readable. You know what I'm saying? And then I do have a format where near the end, I love to have reflections. So I like to bring you. So I give you my story, and then I'm giving, hopefully bringing you into it and then shifting it. Now, what about you? Right? And then I give questions. So that's how those come about. Um, you will share your life. So that's what I do. <clears throat> well, you know, Jim, as you share that, I think about <clears throat> the ministry that, that you guys have with unhurried living and there's a depth to it. It's profound. (laughs) Um, And the the two things that I'm hearing you say that, that feel like has shaped that, that are really quite simple is you just try to notice what God's doing and what he's up to. And then you share it. And that, that is so simple, and, and yet it's incredibly profound and deep because you're not writing, you know, little emails that are just these sweet little uh, stories. There is depth to them. I guess I'm just really struck by the idea that the Lord is using you in really deep, profound ways, but it comes from a simple way. Am I hitting on something? Thank you for saying it that way. That's exactly how I describe myself. When I'm, when I'm talking, let's say a coaching group, for example, I've got six or eight women on my screen. This is what I say to ladies. I am just telling you what I know. And I actually, I know this, it can sound simplistic, but I really believe in this, what you just described, Ted. We got to be people who pay attention to what's going on in us and around <clears throat> us. And then when you get any nugget that you get from that, just tell somebody else because they're probably going to need it too. And I know, (laughs) right? Well, and, and you know, to circle back to what you said before about what I'm doing right now is God's will. If we have that perspective, then whatever I'm doing, I'm asking the question, what is God up to right now? How is he with me? What's happening in this moment? And I'm not thinking about, what I did five minutes ago or what I want to do an hour from now, but I'm present to what is. And so it feels like that, that truth of I am right now in God's will, his heart, his ways really grounds you. Oh, completely. Um, There's an image. I think we share it in um, what does your soul love? There's a chapter where I talk about the difference between the meadow and the maze. Hmm. And um, these are images from my childhood. I I grew up on a six-acre farm, and four of the acres was just pasture. 
it was all like, you know, fenced off by, um, you know, what do you call barbed wire fence back in the day. And I had a horse and I would ride my horse all throughout the four acres, right? So if you think of the verse, um, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So as a young girl in elementary school with my long black hair and my blonde Palomino with her hair away, you know, bareback, just I could, but I could go wherever I wanted because it was boundaried. And I put, I juxtaposed that to another childhood memory of going into a fun house at the fair where it was a, I didn't know, it said fun on the outside, it had a clown on the outside. I'm like, this will be cool. It's a bright building. My dad and I go in, scary as all get out. It was pitch black. <laughs> it was a maze with all kinds of scary noises. And then at one point you make your way through it and there's this, you know, clown head and lights are flashing and music. Scared out of my mind. Now, what I say in the book is this. Some of us think our Christian life is more like the maze than the pasture, right? Like I, I go in, it's dark, and I can only make lefts and rights, and I'm going to get it wrong, and then I'm in a corner. And I want to say the kingdom of God is like the meadow. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I am free to roam about, right? That's why you can say with integrity, I'm doing God's will right now because I'm doing my best right now as we all are to notice, discern, and respond to the invitations that are around me, to make decisions that I think are moving me in a direction of growth and of generosity, of giving. I might not get every part of that right, but I'm in this pleasant, boundaried kingdom and so I do think that if you have that paradigm, we can just relax a little more often. <laughs> you know, I was using the word chase earlier. I think we cause a lot of our own stress and anxiety because we think we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I think you made a point of this, Ted, it, oftentimes, and you too, Greg, the person right in front of us is what's happening right now or what's happening inside of me is what's happening right now right there's a simplicity here i don't know it's beautiful yeah and i think you live that well uh from a distance you guys seem to have a lot of fun in your ministry just that's my observation anyway um and so it, it seems like you're still bareback on that horse even in your ministry oh, yeah you know so so I, I did read that email today and, and you had me at the good doctor. I just, I, my <laughs> wife and I watch that show every week and we just love it. Yeah. And oh, I, I'm amazed. <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Do you want to ask a question? I mean, I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> well, yeah, just say a couple of things about it. Yeah. Well, so, so here's the thing that I noticed. This is what I mean when noticing. I like to be self-reflective, which is kind of funny because I'm a complete and total extrovert and random minded and all of that. But I'm also a really deep thinker, so I'm not sure how that combination happened. But lately, as I've been watching this show, I've been noticing in myself um, some judgment. Like, I can't, if you haven't watched the show, I'm sorry, but we're like five seasons in, so here's, this might be a spoiler. <laughs> um, the good doctor, um, oh my gosh, this is called Senior Moment. What's his name in the show? Sean. Right. And then what's his girlfriend's name? Um, um, is it Leah? And this, Leah? No, this non Leah. It's Leah. Yeah. Leah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Senior moment. Um, 
I, here's the thing I'm noticing about myself right now is Sean seems so difficult to me and I'm just shocked as I'll get out that Leah is willing to hang in there with him. <laughs> now that says something about me, right? Because I just think that is, that's a, that's a high maintenance to have that much patience with how many dynamics there is. But I watch her over and over try her best. And, and then that doctor that's the mentor, seeing him for who he really is, accepting him and meeting him right there. That's the stuff that speaks to me, right? I would like that for myself and I wanna grow to become a person who can be that for others. Can I see you exactly as you are and meet you there? And then sure, let's have conversations and let's see if we can move if we wanna move, but can we start where you actually are? And they keep doing that with him over and over again. Anyway, yeah. I love that. It's a, it's a brilliant show. Are you familiar with it? <laughs> no. The Good Doctor, he's a, a doctor yeah. who's on the spectrum. He's yeah. brilliant, brilliant surgeon. Yeah. And um, and it's just how he interacts with all these people in the hospital, the other doctors, the nurses, the yeah. patients. And he is so many times just delightful oh, in, yeah. in, in his ways. But then at times you get frustrated and you... And you're like, oh, don't say that, you know? Um, and so it's just a lot of emotion. And I, I don't think I've watched too many episodes of The Good Doctor and not cried. Oh, There's yeah. just always, always yeah. something incredibly poignant. And, and, you know, and so your email being about tears and, and talking about tears. And I, I wrote this quote down that, that tears are a gift. They point to something they can show you what's important to you. Some, somebody really wonderful said that. Um, somebody, somebody wonderful. Did I say that? Yeah, you said it. I'm, quote, I'm quoting you. But I, I thought maybe we, in the last part of our time together, we could just talk a little bit about, about tears. Because I, I think, you know, as we live in this world right now, we've had plenty of tears over the last couple of years. Um, I think... Oh gosh, what's going on in Europe right now with Ukraine? So oh. many tears, and and that, and Ukraine's not the only place in the world that's hurting. And certainly, so many of us individually have our own kind of personal internal Ukraine moment where, oh, it's just we're it's it's hard to um, hold it together. It's it's so I, talk a little bit about tears and the gift. Yeah, I, I mentioned in there that um, one of my mentors called it the gift of tears. And I think there must be some sort of actual kind of gifted. Um, but also I think tears are a gift. And I do believe what I said. I think they point to something. Because if you're, if you're just going through your life and a tear is emerging for any reason, minimally something important is happening here. Important to you. And so I think a lot of people too like to stifle that. I mean, I've seen so many people just apologize, like they're gonna, like they're getting verklempt, and then they they pause, and they say, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," and then they try to they pull it all together. And I just think that's just kind of so American, <laughs> you know, culturally. That's kind of what we do. We pull it, pull it up, and pull it together. Um, but I think whenever that's happening, it's good to to ask just um, where is this coming from. I mean, there's obvious reasons if someone if someone passes away, we're going to grieve, we're going to cry. When, when you're grieving, that's understandable. But I'm talking about just kind of 
in your life day to day. I'm watching a TV show. You know, not everyone cried in this moment. Why did I cry in this moment? You can do some really good soul searching because I think wherever, wherever that tear, if you follow the tear all the way back into your eye, all the way down into your heart, um, you're touching on something important and central. So I guess the invitation is allow yourself, and all of this falls into the idea of being hurried, allow yourself the time to peruse a little bit. What's going on here? Why am I so touched by this? And then have the courage to see the answer. And even if you can't, you don't know what to do when you see it, let's, let's say you can name it, but then you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? That's okay. It's okay. You know, one step at a time. You gave yourself permission to look at it. Maybe it'll take you a while to name it. Maybe then it comes now. Maybe it comes a month from now. But keep keep holding that. And um, these are the formational moments that I'm talking about. When I was told you will share your life, this is what I mean. And this is the stuff. This is how we help people. Because who wants to hear someone just spout truth? I don't have anything against truth. I love truth. But just spouting truth doesn't help as much as what you're talking about before, great. Like lived truth or lived grace speaks in a different way and people can feel it. I think we're in a time now where leaders have the opportunity to really get in touch with their vulnerabilities because we're all stripped pretty bare after two years of all this stress. We're pretty much raw. So whatever that means appropriately, if you're a leader, let yourself get in touch with what's going on because trust me, all of your people are feeling it, <laughs> right? And they're gonna need some of this lived truth. And it's not, and I don't even just mean for the next five minutes. I mean, we're going to be recovering from this for a, a long time. So I got preachy there at the end. Sorry. <laughs> nope. We like hearing it. I'm just thinking as we close today, Jim, just the, um, that leader who's not in that place whatsoever, you know, that they're on a treadmill, expectations. Or, yeah, they're not noticing their tears. They certainly feel like what they do pretty much every day is chasing. It's not a lot of receiving what what we're saying is attractional to them but they're not there yet and um and they you know they need to read your book and they need to uh, <laughs> join one of your one of your cohorts but what would you say is the person who's like I, this is just not my lived experience but i want it uh what's the starting point what's the what's the turnaround moment uh, just really practically speaking man that's a really good question so you're talking about a person who feels they might have a felt sensation of being trapped but somewhere inside of them they're hearing a voice that says um, I need something like this or this is interesting to me you're saying it so they've turned at least a little bit of a corner yeah right which is the first step obviously right, <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> right. that desire truly that desire yeah. is you, some, sometimes you don't even know what you want right because you haven't you haven't analyzed it so yeah yeah so I say so so I say, yeah, let's stop and honor and respect the fact that you've turned a corner. You can hear that voice inside of your head. Now that's good. Um, I like to ask questions. Of course, all good spiritual directors are the kings and queens of questions. But if there's any way to notice exactly what came up for you if you are this person, see if you can turn it into a question. 
what is this new thought I'm having? Or what might be a next step for me now that I've seen this? Um, who might be able to help me? So find your question and then turn that question into a prayer. Lord, I need help. Can you show me someone? Or Lord, um, I'm seeing this, but I really don't know what to do next. What do I do next? So get the question and then pray it and then be patient. Because this is the thing I started with coming all the way back. You have all the time in the world. It took you a long time to get to where you are right now. There's a lot of undoing to do. And then there's a lot of redoing to do. So gear up <laughs> for the ride. <laughs> Does that sound simple enough? I love it. Get in touch with the feeling. It. Yeah. Turn it into a question. And, and pray that question. <laughs> pray the question. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think about the um, statement that uh, the poet, German poet Rilke made about yes. um, loving the questions and seeing yeah. them um, like, you know, books in a room. And, um, and, and that's what I hear in that is, is loving the questions. And, and I think the reason we would love them is because it leads us to that prayer. It leads us to uh, dependence. And, and I mean, there's so many different ways we could go with that in terms of just wonder and noticing and all that stuff. But um, that that's beautiful to talk about identifying the questions and then praying out of those questions. Yeah. Oh, and I love that Rilke quote. At the end, he basically says, um, you're probably not ready. This is my version. You're probably not ready for the answer. And even if you had it, you're not, what you're not ready to do is to live the answer. So that's an invitation to me. Yeah. I want to be the kind of person who's ready to live it. And so that's why I think holding questions is good. His invitation is astounding. Live the questions, he says. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Have patience with everything in your heart that remains unsolved. I think oh, is how that man. quote starts. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and that, again, takes trust to have patience with that which is unsolved. So thank you for the time of just getting to be with you and share a meal and talk about this unhurried life that is the way of Jesus, um, that pacing, um, the trust, the surrender. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you out here in Phoenix on May 7th. Um, yes. uh, you and Alan will be leading an unhurried day, a day retreat. And I uh, hope some of our listeners can come out and be a part of that. That'd be great. We'd love to see you all. It's going to be wonderful to be with you. Thank you for your work. We're fans from afar. So thanks so much, Jim. And thanks everyone for listening.